Welcome to Mouthwash, TBD Conference's podcast with me, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference and founder of Emerging Technology Advisory here forth. My guest today is the highly decorated creative luminary Nils Leonard from Uncommon Creative Studio. Nils is a creative's creative who isn't afraid to hold a mirror up to himself or a changing industry. His recent TBD talk was going to be called Life is Too Short to Give Up and Become a Cynical Old Slag, but being the helpful positive soul he is, Nils plumped for what to do when being punched in the face. Nils knows good when he sees it and isn't afraid to burn down houses to find it. Nils and I talked about everything from post-pandemic client relations to how creativity is changing because of platforms like TikTok. Find out more about Nils and the crew over at Uncommon.London. Enjoy the show. Nils Leonard founded Uncommon Creative Studio with Lucy Jameson and Natalie Graham in 2017. Their MO is to build brands that people in the real world actually wish existed. Uncommon's clients include teeny weeny brands like B&Q, Guardian, Brewdog, WeTransfer, ITV, Allbirds and a massive range of others as well. Before Uncommon, he worked at mega agency Grey and knows a thing or two or uh, 20 probably about making ads that really speak to people. He is a force in the industry. Nils tops the creative lists and uh, for most things but he was called most creative person in advertising globally by business insider i thought he'd be the perfect person to talk about the next 24 months when it comes to being creative and sort of advertising it is a changing world uh, i'm also very proud to say that nils is tbd alumni and also a provocative speaker i hope he brings the rain tonight uh nils welcome to the show how has your day been Evening, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm good. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is my first time in this forum, so I'm a little bit uh, unsure of how it'll go. But yeah, let's let's go for it. It's a massive experiment. I, I kind of like it. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. it's all good. Um, well, it should be fun. Right. Mouthwash, like I said, isn't me chatting with just nil. Uh, and I, uh, I want to hear from you and uh, ask him your questions. Use the hashtag Mouthwash Show and I will do my best to work them in. And who knows, uh, Nils just might even go through them afterwards and give you some love online as well. Yep. He's, he's, he's just that nice. Um, right. Okay. Then. Sorry, what was that? Nothing. I just, what have you heard? <laughs> all true, all true, no doubt. All right. Um, right. Uh, apart from my sunburn today, uh, I've had a very positive and productive day. So I'm excited for this one. Um, right, where to begin? I normally ask actually uh, one question at the beginning. Um, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Uh, well, that's not a hard answer for me because um we're in the middle of an edit on a very very important job and edits at our place are like i don't know they're, they're kind of like the, the crack of what we do so i literally woke up at about quarter to six with an idea for a for a flurry in the middle of an edit what do i sound like i sound like a fucking idiot uh but that's that was my day i woke up thinking about that thinking that'll do it that'll solve it i'll put a space here and then and then bring the music back so there you go everyone <laughs> that's, that's how it works but no i mean i think it's i think um it's astonishing at the moment. It's a mix of the very, very tiny. That's what a startup is, right? You, you stop talking yourself into lofty decisions every day. And it's a mix of the, the really granular, the really tiny, with hopefully keeping vision and agendas on track. But but this morning was that. And an idea for music, guys. I want to put the streets on something, which I'm quite excited about. So I'd love to know what you all think for that. Oh, my friend actually just put them in um, a movie. Um, so very interesting, actually. Uh, I can absolutely attest that the music industry is still rife with uh, egos. Um, right, hang on. So uh, question for you. You mentioned that you're a startup there. That's quite interesting. You were set up in 2017. Uh, you've been going for a while. How many of you are there at the moment, is there? About 85 of us. 
You're not a starter. All right. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you have that. You call yourself what you want. It's not my money. <laughs> when do you stop feeling vulnerable, though? Like, when, when does that go away? That's what I define a startup as: when you actually are consciously aware of the fear that it might all be an illusion or fail at any point. I don't know when that goes away. Until then, I'm going to call myself a startup. Hey, you call yourself what you want. It, it, absolutely. I think it's for others to call people startups. I think it's interesting. But yeah, um, how have the last twelve months been for you guys? Um, yeah, what, what's been? What's the news? Oh, look, um, oh God, it's really it's really uh, easy, actually, I think, to talk very lightly about it. And go, oh, yeah, you know, it's ridiculous, isn't it, what's happened to everyone? And I think uh, really important to recognise life and um, people and humans and stuff. Uh, I spent some time in uh, hospital. I got COVID, which was weird and a bit scary and very mortal. Um, but I don't really want to dwell on that, weirdly, for Uncommon and for us and our vision. Uh, it was actually an incredible 12 months. Um, I guess, you, you know, very lucky, but also partly fueled by our, our purpose, weirdly, and our um, energy. And I think we sort of, really, I realised that we're an entire company built around responding to a crisis. You know, we have this quote from uh, the death of a salesman, the woods are burning. You know, I don't want to hear any stories about the crap because the woods are burning. Um, mm. and, and weirdly, the woods suddenly were, in every sense. There was, wasn't a marketing concoction we needed to create or some sort of sense of an impending business change. Literally, the fucking woods were burning. People, you know, were shutting their houses and the world had changed. Um, and I think our natural impetus at that moment was to act and be prolific and do stuff. And luckily, a lot of our client partners were too. And a lot of the people that sought us out in that period were people that felt the same. So we've been very prolific and we've made some new friends who feel the same way we do. And we've actually had a, a really, um, a really kind of powerful and productive time and learned a lot. Mm. Um. So you're 85 people strong. You're in London at the moment. Are you opening any other territories? Are you going to open in any other no. territories? Well, that's a really weird question, right? So previously, I'd have said, you know, yeah, definitely we are going to or whatever. But we do a lot of work now in, in the US uh, on both coasts. We do a lot of work in Europe. We've just launched a project for H&M. Hopefully some of you have seen um, called the One Second Suit. That's launching in the States and, and over here. Um I mean, a big learning over this period was that, you know, previously when someone would call you as a UK creative studio and they would say you know we really love your work and you'd get three quarters of the way down the line and then they'd say oh, i'm really sorry but you just need boots on the ground and we're not sure well of course covid got rid of that because no one had boots on the ground no one was allowed mm. at their fucking house so it was like oh okay well why don't we just try it so we created a project with bumble we created a project with h&m like you know about three or four others all birds um and actually so so that removed the need for that i mean so i would say hopefully we do have a presence certainly in the states and in, and in europe we are thinking about um, doing something, you know, more concrete, uh, not necessarily a building, but certainly appearing with, with more consistency in those markets, you know, because some of the opportunities there have been brilliant. We didn't expect it, actually. You know, my experience of, of US work in particular, given my time at Gray, was that there wouldn't be a tremendous amount of appetite, maybe, for the work that we do. But I've, I've been proven um, otherwise. And how is it in uh, agency land at the moment? Is it still pitcher-palooza everywhere? Has a horn still in? Or are things starting to sort of calm down and get back to where it was? I feel like all I was reading for the longest time was everyone's skittish, everyone's pulling their money, and nobody really has a clue what they're doing, which is kind of ironic, seeing as a lot of the agencies are to do with strategy. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always thought that to be funny. Uh, no, but we, like I said, though, weirdly, it depends on who you were, right? So during that period, I think it, I, I've never been in a period where two experiences would be so completely different all the time. So I'd talk to someone, you know, I'd talk to a friend who runs a brand and he'd be like, God, dude, I've done nothing in four and a half weeks and I'm starting to go mad. And I'd be like, are you crazy? We 
made 200 films for ITV. I speak to someone at another agency would be like, oh, it's, it's, I think everyone had a really unique experience. I don't think it was just everybody went to sleep and did pull-ups in their back garden for, for a year. Um, you know, what I would say is that pitches are definitely back. I think there were, to, to a lot of the credit of agencies, by the way, and, and, and a bit of fury at some of our client partners, there were a lot of bullshit pitches during that period because I think people were confused as to how to spend their time. So a lot of people were like, I know what we'll do. We'll call a rebranding pitch because that's what we can do if our stores are shut. Um, you know, and I think there was a lot of a lot of perhaps wasted energy. We were very selective and, and very fierce around that at our place. We were worried about that. But I know some people who, who went through the rigmarole of a few pitches in that time and and didn't benefit from it. But um, I absolutely think it's back now. I mean, we are flat out. I think everybody else is. You know, I'm getting a text a week from a load of the creatives I know going, oh, do you know any middleweight teams and all that stuff, which is always a really good sign. So I think it is back. Um, I just think it's different. I mean, I feel like, I don't know about you, but weirdly, man, I, I think coming out of all this, I've seen some brilliant work from from other places. I, You know, I've always been a little bit ferocious about the whole industry and I've seen some great work coming out. I saw something out of Abbott Mead um, a couple of days ago for the design, you know, in collaboration with the Design Museum, I just thought was awesome. And I sort of feel like actually everyone's suddenly coming out like they've been let out and they're not fucking about hopefully. So I think I'm optimistic about it. Oh, Oh, I will pick you up on that point. I All think right. that museum thing. And if you haven't checked it out, go to the design museum. They basically splashed a load of beautiful artwork all over products. And that's the thing. I think it's absolutely savage what they've done because I think <laughs> one of their mother could have done it. I'm really sorry, but you've taken, you know, if they had showcased sustainable materials, new, new bottle types and all of that sort of thing. And like just better thinking rather than like, Oh, we've slapped something on a fairy washing up liquid bottle. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see the sort of value in the design of that sort of stuff. But I think that's for another, another show, but we can definitely agree to disagree on that. I'm happy to As you wish. Happy to have a chat after this about that. Um, yeah, I was on the roof of um, a place today for co-working that I, um, I'm very lucky to go to at the moment. I'm hideously uh, badly tanned at the moment. But we were talking exactly about that. And um, yes, curse words were said then as well. Um, go back into what we were talking about. What um, has the creative industry learned during or from COVID? I I'm not seeing as much change as I think you have, but I'm not at the forefront like you are i don't read campaign every day and all that sort of thing but i'm sure there are lessons that are being learned well i don't read campaign every day either but I, I, i'd love to talk more about the creative industry not just the ad industry i think the creative industry has gone on a massive journey a couple of things really from my point of view one is um this conversation i read something from heatherwick actually which i thought was really interesting where he went now that we don't have to go to cities we don't have to go there we're gonna we're gonna need to want to go there and I thought that was a great concept for designing cities and city planning and all that other stuff. But the, the long and the short of it is that's true now of everything. That's true of restaurants and stores and music experiences and entertainment. And I would argue that music artists have never needed to be more um, theatrical, to be more visual, to be more original, to be more provocative. And I reckon that industry went to sleep a bit. The music industry used to be phenomenal. Rage Against the Machine shut down the stock exchange right back in the day. That was like, fucking activism and power and you know you look at kate bush and obviously people like that bowie they used to understand that the visual experience the tactile experience everything about them needed to be 10 out of 10 i believe that that's come back so i'm looking at companies you know while the live sort of you know world had to had to retreat the best artists the the, the most you know powerful ones the ones with most at their fingertips people like nick cave you know and, and a few others were creating experiences that you could still sell tickets to you know rick salmon over at drift you know, who we do a bit of work with those guys. I think it's really interesting what they've been up to, you know, in terms of sort of audiovisual streaming of events and, and how film and AV may play a part in live music moments. So I think all that's been really, really interesting. I think it's been loads of innovation there. 
Um, and I actually think the music industry is never going to come back from that. I think that sense of theatre and visual is going to is here to stay. And I think we've all got to learn from that. You know, we're all on our knees, weren't we, worshipping when Travis dropped in Fortnite? I think the, all this stuff now is an extension of that, which is music artists now can, you know, or any artist, frankly, can live in any sense. So I feel like that's been an incredible, you know, move forwards. Um, I, I'm really excited about that. You know, and again, this sense of design, you know, what is a shop front now? You know, there's a lot of conversation around dark, you know, what they call dark kitchens on Deliveroo and all that other stuff. Well, the shop front, you know, is 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 a series of design. It's a, it's an aesthetic. It's a tone of voice. It's all that other stuff the way it always has been. But it exists in, you know, less places. And I just think it's really, really powerful. I remember just one story on that, like, Paul, I remember watching a guy called Dom set up a company called Heckles in Margate. And um, Dom was a director and a filmmaker. And he launched the website and there was this beautiful film came on. I was like, why has he opened in Margate? And he bought this shop on a hill in Margate that no one's going to go to. And I realized he didn't buy the shop in Margate because he was going to get 100 people in the shop every day. He bought it because it was probably the cheapest set you could afford, right? And he made the thing look like an apothecary from the 19th century. And he filmed this incredibly beautiful film of a you know man with a neck tattoo lighting candles as it opened up. And all of a sudden, of course, that's his online shop. And I realized, my God, that's the game. You know, so I feel like um, all of that has been a massive shift for all of us. And the idea of designing experiences and creating experiences like that, we're never going to come back from that. It's going to be at this level now. So I think that's a really good place. I think the the technological um, world certainly been tested over the last uh, 12 and I think will continue to be over the next uh, next 12 sort of months. When it comes to those sorts of technology, it comes down to a few things, doesn't it? It's how many people have it in their hands, how many people want to use it, what is the cost of it and what is the amount of time and sort of level of um, technological savvy needed in order to do it. And I still find those are massively disparate. And sometimes, um, you know, I, I've, I've worked at Mindshare, you know, we were somewhat at the cutting edge of doing things like this for brands and that sort of stuff and I found that we were not wasting money but we were potentially spending it without you know having we were doing lots of experiments that's how we sort of um we, we sort of sold it into people and that sort of stuff um but don't um, the same rules apply right isn't the same rule and I think people forget this in those moments we've got something new we've put it on a new platform we've done all this you still have to watch it and go holy shit and say to your friend have you seen this thing did you see that fucking thing the other night it was incredible yeah and I, I think, think that's, that's the thing that yeah. is the thing create that yeah. thing yeah, that's it. And I think that's what people like Nick Cave have done. I mean, I've obviously got a crush on him, but I think that's what he's done over this period, you know, with his show at Ali Pali and a few other moments. But I think in any experience like that, the Fortnite thing, people who didn't even know what Fortnite was were sharing that and gimping out and watching it on YouTube. They're watching mm -hmm. old footage of a live moment in a game they didn't play, right? Like, what? Mm -hmm. And so I think, I actually think all of this, we, we can absolutely be talking about platforms and, and barriers to entry and all that stuff. But ultimately, if the experience is remarkable, people will forsake that pain. Yeah. I, I think I don't see enough of that. I see quite mediocre experiences and that sort of stuff. And I talk to a lot of people who work in AR, VR, MR, all of that sort of stuff. And I, the, the cost of it is definitely coming down. That's a really good thing. And I think... Uh, more more headsets are in there. I think VR's struggled through this pandemic. I'm looking yeah. at the numbers. Um, yeah. that. I think yeah. it's a rough one. Where does AR come in? Um, we're sort of jumping around. I was going to... There was a flow to these questions, but we'll jump around. Um, uh, AR, augmented reality, glasses, and that sort of stuff. People keep saying that's the next sort of um, evolution of computing and wearables and that sort of stuff. When you're an advertising person, I'm sure everyone's seen that um, beautiful um, mock-up, which is, I'm forgetting, hyper-reality it's called, where like ads pop at you and you know logos generate stuff. Does that fill you with fear for the industry or does that give you a sense of hope that there are new sort of experiences coming down the pipe? 
Paul, I think you know that I'll find that absolutely rancid. Uh, I've always hated the way that advertising fists its messaging into people's lives. That sounds like more of the same. I'm definitely at odds with that form of, of work. However, if you said to me that AR could place a tattoo on your arm or your, your body and show you what it might look like and a brand might have made that possible, people would be thankful for it. And yeah. if you said that VR, you know, instead of going wide and trying to show everybody a brand new, you know, trailer for a Samsung phone, if you said that it could bring you someone else's life, like an extension of Instagram, right, or something else, live for two hours in their shoes, we'd be queuing around the block for it. Mm. So I think that's the thing I'm interested in is how we extend the experiences we love, how we create remarkable moments. I have no interest at all in in fisting logos into people's lives. I don't think that's what we're in the business of, by the way, either. Mm. I, what are we episode six where well, we haven't had the word fisting it's not been on the uh, mouthwash bingo but i'll definitely add it for next season that's for sure um right okay, before we go full on to the future let's go back a bit not so long but also a little bit long Mad Men image do you think we're past it yet what's it going to take to get people away from the days of drink sexism is advertising even sexy anymore uh, oh god uh, i can't say that we are past sexism in advertising or any of that stuff we all know that's a hill to climb on you're working alongside two absolutely brilliant female founders who daily are well aware of that and, and in the work that we do and in the in the clients that we partner. That's a very, you know, that's something very close to our hearts and that's something we take seriously. However, I would say that if that silhouette of Mad Men were being redrawn now, it would be a disgruntled fat white dude on his knees because I think that's been completely broken. Um, I think, I don't know, man. I mean, my view of it, honestly, I, I'll only speak from the heart here, but I think uncommon and what we're trying to do is a direct response to all of the problems with the ad industry you know some, some someone said oh how do i go from being a brand this is years ago how do i go from being a brand that sells things to people to being a brand that people wish existed and the reason uncommon exists is because i thought well never mind you how do we and i think that if we stop viewing ourselves in any way with that level of, of sort of swagger and power and actually just want to play a meaningful part in it all and be remembered for not having just polluted things i think that's a really good place to play um i want to believe that there is a, a you know electricity and ferocity and power to what we do i want to believe that some people will sit and say god i wish i'd done that h&m thing or did you see that like you know they partnered with those guys and they did that thing i i want to be as remarkable as a as a pixar short or as a you know something else that, that is useful or emotional and i think that that's still got a lure hasn't it you know, I like that Banksy was frustrated with advertising. There's a, the famous quote I've talked a lot about where he slags off, you know, advertisers and, the, you know, the tech we have. There's another one. I don't know how many of you know where he goes on about how advertising steals some of the most talented, some of the most energetic people from art and leaves art with the laziest, most self-absorbed ones. I've always loved that he's frustrated. And I think while he continues to be frustrated, we clearly have something going for us. So I, I guess I would just, you know, argue it depends whose shadow you're, you're following. Mm. You know, who, who your heroes are really and who your villains are I suppose I think I don't know why but we're always forced into polarizations these days and I'm trying to find the middle of more of my arguments yeah wicked yeah great that's, but that's an interview you know as well um, I'm going to ask no, I, think that's, I think that's so true I, I love that conversation sorry we haven't got to stop on that but you know is it good for the planet or is it PR you know yeah. is, is it ethical or is it luxury I think yeah. we're riddled with those you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a good conversation. I think some, to some degree, well, we can talk about that as well. I think there's, to some degree, there is a client push to be uh, famous, to create work that sort of speaks to people. My argument for a lot of it is like, 
does it return results? You know, you can have a super creative, beautiful website, and I've seen them, I've been a part of them, um, but at the end of the day, I'm like, did it deliver? You know, be like, oh, well, we won the award. You know, how much do awards matter anymore? You know, Cannes Lions coming up, you know, and that sort of thing. Obviously, it's going to be very different this year. Um, what, what is that, you know, and, and everybody sort of is obsessed with awards and that sort of thing. How, yeah, how okay. is it to the industry now and sort of in the next 24 months? Uh, well, right. Well, you danced across a few things there. First of all, fame—fame fame is not awards. Fame is very different, and we're obsessed with it at our place. Fame is emotion on steroids. If you—and by the way, you'd be surprised how many clients don't want to be famous. So this talk that every client wants to be famous—they don't, man. You know, a lot of the meetings you go into, you're like, "We're going to really do this, this, and this." Fame is scary. You know, fame means you're out there and people are talking about you, and some people, whether you like it or not, are not going to say nice things. And you'd be surprised how many people just want to slide through. So, so first of all, I think you know, uncommon we care very much about fame we believe it can transform brands but you'd be surprised how in the first meeting we can know in a heartbeat whether or not they're going to be our sort of partner because they're not necessarily comfortable with that so that's worth just mentioning awards is is something man i've been thinking about for years i was back at gray when i realized this so we stopped entering awards for a year at gray and it was when we started making good work but i was frustrated because we weren't winning them and all that other stuff and i was like screw awards and then I realized awards really, uh, all the other gut aside and the, you know, sort of obsession and, and, you know, they can turn creators into monsters. You know, you remember all those people, I don't know how many of us listening used to be in creative, you know, agencies and they'd walk into an office and someone would go, you see all those up there, you know, and they'd point at some sagging shelf of dusty, shitty old awards and use it to justify some average thinking. Um, the, all those things are awful. But if you don't win awards, talent don't know you exist. That's what I realized. And um, annoyingly, at that point, you only have another question to ask yourself, which is if I'm going to play that game then and try and appeal to talent, how well am I going to play it? So it's a necessary evil, but um, you know, I'd like to believe that we associate ourselves with winning awards for the right stuff. I don't, Uncommon haven't made a piece of work that we've won an award for that was fake. We don't make fake work. You'll find all of it in the popular media. So you might not like it, but it is all out there. Um, yeah. And I think providing you can do that and you can speak to people with that work, then then I think it's valid, you know, and, it, and it's true, man, whether you like it or not, it's the way you hear about brilliant bits of work. It's the way you see people and see talent. Otherwise, how, how are they going to surface? Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about talent a bit later. Um, I found a quote. I can't remember who it was from or I don't know if I've amalgamized it, but um, somebody has said, and I know I read it, that Adlan should stop trying to save the world and start selling. What do you think about that statement now and for the next 24 months? What do you want to get out of bed and do? I don't think it's a 24 months thing. Two things really on that. Sorry, forgive me. Like not everybody does want to do that. And that's fine. If you want to go just sell some stuff, go sell some stuff. That's cool. Mm -hmm. It got got to the point with me where I was like, I've seen what we can do at our best. I've seen that if you partner with a brand that's incredibly powerful and has reach or you partner with people with energy, and you actually define a purpose. And by purpose, I don't mean this cheese is going to be the cheese that saves the world. I mean a business that understands why it's here, not just the product it wants to sell. You can actually leave the world a better place than you found it. You can. Sustainably, in terms of what you want to show people, in terms of the messaging you want to put out there, the way you want to make people feel, the products you bring to the world, the behaviors you bring, the acts you create. You can make a difference if you want to. Now, if you don't want to, that's fine. If people are out there and they just want to go sell some cheese, but here's the kicker which is more and more and more people don't want to put on a headset and see a logo flash up in their face. They want to have a meaningful relationship with the things in their lives. The uh, head of sustainability from Ikea said, I thought it was a brilliant little statement. We've reached peak stuff. That's the idea that in the West we're full. 
mm-hmm. right? And I would argue we're not just full of products, you know. And, and by the way, that's a sentiment probably we're feeling for the first time in our history. We have yeah. enough things, right? Enough objects, enough brands, enough enough messaging. We're full. And I, I think we want a different relationship with the brands and the messages and the objects and the experiences in our lives. And I think the ones we're going to choose are the ones that mean something to us that don't leave the world shittier than they found it. So us going, okay, that's what we're going to be in the business of. That's our choice. You haven't got to do it. But I would say that people who are very talented and driven tend to not wake up every morning and just want to sell shit. So go figure. No, no, I, 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 I take that point. I think it's interesting. I think what advertising still has a really bad, uh, what do you call it? Um, image out there in the world and i wouldn't necessarily say that the programmatic world or the media agencies has done a phenomenal job of helping that image just simply because mismatching or you know for all this data that's out there people have terrible ad experiences still and i think it's quite interesting when you've got folks like you who are like highly creative and highly sort of um vocal about you know the, the craft and that sort of thing and then you've got the other end of your spectrum who are like shilling it down the piers for like five cents you know and for that and I, it, it, where does yeah. it sort of you know where does craft meet numbers if that makes sense and who's doing that well is it is it being done well god man what a question um we enjoy i just think it's about what you want you know we're not for everybody and i know everyone says that's an advertising company but we're really not mm. we meet some people in the first meeting and we say to them why are you here and if they say oh you know we want a bit of this and we've heard you're all right and whatever but they don't really know us then we make sure they know us in that meeting because usually they'll they'll be the ones to say, maybe you're not for us. Most of the time when people come in, they go, I saw that thing or I heard you say this thing or I read that thing that Lucy wrote or I saw this, you know, and they're playing back a shared ambition for the world. You know, when we're wanging on about purpose, we want to help clients find it so they can help them make decisions. You know, I think the best definition of purpose is that essentially in any moment of crisis, you know exactly what you're going to do. And what you saw, right, in this whole period was you saw a load of people retreat and um and ah for a year. And then you saw some other people that didn't. You know, I think ITV were phenomenal. I would say that. I think BrewDog were great. You know, I actually think this has been the making of BrewDog, if I'm honest with you. I, I think it's been incredible, the amount of of just, you know, ferocity and speed that James and, and his crew have reacted to stuff. Um, and I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, if you're in the business of that, the old rules don't go away. You need to craft. You need care you need to create imagery that people are going to remark on and share all the same rules apply you're just focusing it in a different way so i think it depends what you want if you still believe that a brilliantly crafted image matters if you still believe that people can react and be moved by a film and by music and you care enough to know that that can transform your business then you'll go one way if you're in the business of just making lots and putting it out there you'll go somewhere else and there are people who do both like any high street you know like any shop front Mm-hmm. It's, it's just to wrap that up it sounds a bit like you're saying if you've lost your passion go to the left if you've got still got your passion and you believe go to the right and that sort of thing do you think well also sorry i mean also to that point or if you're frustrated you know i think uncommon's, yeah. i think uncommon's mo has been attracting people who are slightly fucked off with it all mm. you know a lot of the people who came along first first of all i couldn't quite put my finger on it including us by the way obviously but you know would come in going i was over this place and i fucking really want to hate those guys i want to give them a bloody nose or you know, and it was like, it, there was a lot of this sort of shared um, momentum. And actually that, I worked out that takes you really, really far. You know, that that's that's energy. Um, and so I think that energy to want to put a dent in stuff is really, really powerful. And so, yeah, we haven't got, we haven't got much room for cynics at our place, but I don't think the world needs more cynics. There's plenty of those. 
Certainly not in the next 24 months. I think uh, a, lot, a lot more passion needs to come to the forefront. Speaking of passion, uh, nice segue. Um, Zoe Skamen was on uh, the other day and we were talking about passion and the creator economies. Do you think there are threats for agencies or opportunities, you know, working with um, new quote unquote finger wiggles creators? You know, how, how do you see them? Do you see them as a frenemy, as like, oh, it's just another option? How are you taking that sort of you know new world that's emerging? I think uh, yeah, I just look at it like they're um they're like going to to any other brilliant new emerging artist, right? And if you decide to develop a crass and paid for and obvious relationship with that person, then that's what you'll get. If you decide to to work with that person or partner with them in a way that's interesting, creates new moments or new experiences, then you're going to do something interesting. I'd argue there's much more of the former happening. Because I think the way those platforms also want their creators to to work is in certain structures, which I think is a little bit of a shame. So I think there's been a lot of very formulaic stuff done there, but I don't think there has to be, you know. And I actually think that format is incredibly powerful. I'm obsessed with Twitch at the moment. I think that's a really really interesting format um, that that you can make a massive difference in gaming. Full stop. Really, right? If you think about it, the amount of immersion, the scale of operations within gaming, I just I'm obsessed with. I don't think we've scratched the surface. Uh, in, in that world with what we can do. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting gaming because of the engagement metrics that people sort of have. But also, again, it comes back to that passion. You know, if you have that passion in a community already, then you can really, you know, ignite that in other ways or they're more open to it because they're sort of in a safe space that they sort of get G'd up about. Yeah, I think when, that's right. When it talks to about, um, sorry, you're very good at getting brands to sort of what I consider take risks, loosen up, speak with a human voice that's what i've seen throughout your work if that makes sense and then the company's work not just your own um zoe uh, talked about brands giving up control the next sort of phase of the passion and creator economy and um a listener posed a question for zoe which i think seems applicable to you actually um as communication channels become increasingly intermingled and decentralized what is the future of brand strategy when brands no longer regain retain total control of their development uh, I think I think that's a weird question. I, I don't buy that brands, brands can give up control in inverted commas. I'd like everyone to imagine they started their own brand at this point, right? I'd love everyone to just go, um, actually, instead of talking theoretically about brands from afar and all that other stuff, just imagine it's yours. And imagine you have all these choices at your fingertips and you want to go out there and you want to go out into the world and someone says, hey, you should do this, you should do that. You know that in your heart some stuff's going to happen you can't control, that's fine. But I don't argue that anybody at some point goes, I have complete control over everything my brand does anyway. If you decide to give somebody a carrier bag and they decide to throw that carrier bag in the road and it ends up on the news and your carrier bag's the carrier bag that caused the you know, car crash, that stuff happens. And I think that happens when you work with influencers or creators. I think that stuff happens when you work with filmmakers. You know, It, it can all go that way. And I, I would just say that to some degree, I've never viewed it about bravery, about convincing someone to do something they don't want to do. I've always tried to remove the need for it. You know, I'd argue that a lot of our client partners, we don't see a different way. It's like, we're either gonna go and move people and we're gonna get this right and we're gonna speak with our hearts and we're gonna move people with what we're doing or we're gonna create something new or useful for them, or we're not. You know, and everything else is failure. There is no cowardice here. Like not winning in that sense is useless. It's the definition of insanity. We may as well have not bothered. And so I think if you're in that place, it removes the need for this conversation about bravery and probably removes the need for conversation about control because you're headed toward a path you both agree on. Yeah. I don't know if that's an answer, Paul, sorry. Your question was quite expansive. 
No, I think <laughs> I'm not sure if that was. I think it was my question actually um, that was expansive. Um, let's talk about new platforms, TikTok, and that sort of thing. They are, you know, these are the reasons why people aren't watching so much TV, amongst other things. Um, it's different to TV. It's different to Facebook and that sort of thing. How much do the, does the platform that you know it's going to go on factor into your creative process right now? Has it become more important because of the pandemic? About the same? We don't really think about it. No, for sure. I think with something like, I think with something like TikTok, of course, you have to think about it radically differently. I mean, we often come platform first in some instances, or we or we find a behaviour that can live in those places. There is hygiene factor work that can exist on those platforms, which everyone can um and ah over and go, best practice is this and that. Like I said, I don't think anybody's innovated properly in that sphere in the way they have in others. What I will say is it depends what you're in the business of. Um, I love to believe that, so an example, maybe like the H&M suit thing, because there's an idea underneath a television commercial, there is an in initiative around renting people a suit for 24 hours you need it. Well, we have a many, many assets in which people can engage with, right? So you're not stuck with the same straight jacket of media. I'm not sat there with a 60 second film going, what do I do with this? We're sat going, okay, we've got this idea. We can have an influencer wear it. We can have them talk about it. We can have them go down to the store. They might do a fall on the bed and suddenly it appears there. Or we might simply, you know, there's a load of ways for them to engage in that idea. And I think ideas like that are the best, right? We used to talk about like leaving a hole in the idea. You know, the idea that a lot of people try to complete their thinking and their creative work so completely no one can find a way in. And I think in this world, actually, it's a brilliant idea to try and find a way to, to leave a hole in it for other platforms, other people to make their own world of it. Um, I think the best stuff we've done tries to do that a bit. Um, but I don't, I mean, you know, I, I, like I said, I think there's also a gulf, though, in, in brilliant work that appears there that isn't selly. I, I also think um, there's a really interesting conversation, Paul, in like, there's a lot of work that gets saluted there that is selly. It's like, you know, hacky stuff. It's like a sort of a lot of the fast food chains do that kind of work. I wonder how much could be achieved with purpose in that world that hasn't. And I think that's also a really interesting conversation. And then lastly, all I'd say is, I think if you're in the business of, you know, emotional film or stuff like that, don't presume that that media is devoid of it. You know, all, all that audience, by the way, you know, they're not suddenly switching off the rest of their lives. They still love a story. They still love a track. They still love fashion. They still love sport. You know, it just exists in all these new places. It doesn't, they're not devoid of that. So I hate the fact that we're sort of slightly switching off those really, really powerful weapons we have because mm. we're looking at a media we don't understand. That's a bit of a frustration, I think. Mm. I think I'm I'm of the uh, gen I'm of the generation of where you still had like those tune in ad moments and people talk about the John Lewis ad and all you know the usual furore and that sort of thing. I'm seeing those less and less. You know, people are sort of uh, not not creating the buzz around things and that sort of stuff. And it's more of an always on approach. When I d one, if you agree with that, great. If not, tell me. But how does that factor into your creative, knowing that that is the sort of landscape that you have to play in, and often sometimes you know i assume it's to do with budget and timing as well but um yeah where does that sort of factors into you know how you create work if that makes sense well two things on that i mean tor mirren who's a, a friend of mine who's now cmo of apple but was was running gray when i was there he used to talk about the super bowl as the last great campfire um you know and he used to sort of go oh, it's the last moment where people come together and stuff and I, i've realized lately that's actually not true um i'd argue that travis dropping in Fortnite was one of those um, you know, and there have been many more. We just have to look in new places for them. I mean, really, let's stop looking at, you know, and there is still, by the way, in brilliant, brilliant places, mega moments where we forget. It's very easy to assume in our media world, everyone's given up on telly. 
you know, 12 million people watch ITV every Saturday night, you know, when Ant and Decker stood there. That's massive. That's not niche, man. That's not like a couple of hundred thousand watching a crime show. That's like 12 million people or something. It's crazy. And I kind of go, those moments still exist in, in their swathes, you know, but in very, very different places. And that's what I meant by gaming or music. I'm really obsessed with how we might play a role in those moments. But really, what I think we should all be doing and wish we were all doing is creating those moments for ourselves. I really, really want us to find a way to be those moments. You know, the dream from Common was that we would one day get the brief for the Olympic torch or we'd one day get the brief for stuff like that. And I think that's when we're not, you know, like I said, shoving logos in people's faces where we're hosting, you know, we're, we're creating this, this moment for people, putting ourselves out there and going, we really hope you all come together and enjoy this and share it. And that it's a memory, a reference mm. point, really. I think reference points, the word I've been scrabbling at while we've been talking. That's what I think we're trying to be in the business of, you know, people saying, holy shit, did you see that dot, dot, dot thing? Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's what we're after. Not to go on about water cooler moments, because I keep reading future of work pieces that everyone's missing these water coolers that don't exist right. in the UK. Yeah. Um, it, I'm, I'm fascinated that, you know, you have those sort of cultural moments and that sort of stuff. It depresses me no end that 12 million people are watching Ant and Deck every Saturday rather than talking <laughs> to other people or doing things. But that's because I'm a snob, probably. Anyway, let's talk. Um, let's shift gears a bit. Talk about political advertising. It's a massive mess right now across the board. Um, lots of issues being caused by it and that sort of thing, platforms and that sort of stuff. Um, I know you you don't work with political people, right? Not currently. Brilliant. Is that something that you would you're open to? And if so, how would you use what you do now to fix them? Um, oh, oh God, this is a uh, let myself go. I've always been obsessed with political advertising. The idea that you can pull a van up with one ad on once and have a load of journos there, and suddenly that thing is the thing everyone's talking about. Um, I think the shape of it and its import are appealing and enticing to us at Uncommon. Um, I think we're short on heroes, aren't we? Who are we going to advertise? <laughs> you know, imagine imagine it's a new biz meeting and they walk in the room a bit like any client and they go, yeah, we're about this. You're like, oh, fuck, are you? Um, I think there's a bit of that going on. Um, but I love the power we might have to play a role in that. I mean, we did some work with The Guardian. Uh, you know, we did a campaign, Hope is Power, during a very tumultuous period. You know, our OVO work poked at the... Mr. Donald Trump in our time, I, I think we want to play a role in the steering of decision making if we can, in a positive way. Um, you know, and I think we, if we were able, we would love to play a really positive role in, in helping, you know, th this country or, or, you know, other things change. I think that's absolutely something we harbour a fascination for. But, but absolutely interrogating that to the to the nth degree means looking under the lid of the politicians and the people that you you want to put into the limelight to power, isn't it? Someone mm -hmm. said that the um, gift we have, not us, but just our industry, to make things famous is a gift we give away too lightly. You know, and I think that's true. We don't ask enough questions around why they deserve to be famous. Oh, what do you, you know, and I, I honestly, we don't, you know, and it's like, yeah, what, we'll do it for a couple of quid. That's equivalent to a hit. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think we must think harder about that. We have a really rare power. You know, that, that sense that we do and we take it for granted. And I think we should ask people more if they deserve it. That's really interesting. I think definitely, again, it depends who you ask to answer that question. People who have been in their careers a long time, I, I have heard them answer that 
um, question very much like oh, we are the people that tell them and that's sort the of thing. And young people are very much of the ilk, certainly the ones I've spoken with. Um, no, 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 we've, we've got to fix this and that's sort the of thing. And yet the two can't meet in the middle. I want to talk about talent in a couple of minutes, but before we jump into that, one one final question on the sort of subject of um, technology. Um, AI, big topic of discussion when it comes to creativity. We're miles away from anything meaningful, but there are really green shoots with machine learning, you know, coming up with new creative, interesting pattern solutions and that sort of stuff. How do you think um, that's going to impact the ad world when you not just can sort of come up with new ideas, but maybe, you know, it would see connections in data that then impact you and that sort of stuff. Is it tool or it's going to, you know, eventually it'll replace I, I really don't have the answer at the moment, but I'm, I'm interested in what you would think about AI. Yeah, I mean, you know, are you are you test tube half full, right? Like, uh, I don't either. I wouldn't even pretend to have a theory around it. What I would say is this, is it's really easy to be deeply terrified of things as powerful as AI. Uh, but someone came up with a vaccine for COVID in like under 12 months. So I kind of, and I know that's a weird leap, but I'm desperately trying to see that the human race and all of us and the powerful people that understand how this might work might find a way to use it for incredible, incredible things. And I find all that very fascinating. And I would love to partner the people that were in that game because I think the stories you could tell and the meaningful ways you could change lives could be immense. You know, it could be game changing. But again, I honestly wouldn't wouldn't profit to understand it enough to, to give you an opinion on that. Mm. I think it all depends on who builds it and what they, uh, who, where the, how they put it yeah. out. Yeah, and at the moment, we don't have the right people doing either, but um, they're all claiming <laughs> to be good people. But there you go. Um, people, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about talent. Um, how do you find your talent uh, these days? Are you inundated with CVs so you don't have to look anymore? And where don't you look? Uh, no, we get a lot. Um, we are. So we were very lucky in that lots of people wanted to work with us, but we found I, I had we had intended to work with a few people from the, that we worked with in the past. And we actually haven't at all. Uh, we currently only work with one team that I knew from a previous life. Everyone else has come. Um, what was really interesting is when we launched, our positioning appealed to a few people who got in touch through friends or someone went, I read your thing, you need to meet this guy or this girl. And, you know, the reason they said that was we spoke to frustration, we spoke to wanting to make a different shape of work, we spoke to not being cynical, we spoke to trying to actually mess with people. And that appealed to clients and talent in that way. Robert Savile at Mother once said something to me, which was really simple and very powerful. He said, um, Nils, I've heard you speak a few times, and the difference between the ones that were shit and the ones that were good, he doesn't pull his punches, um, was that the ones that were crap, you were trying to appeal to clients and be clever and all that other stuff. And the ones that were good, you spoke directly to talent and tried to move them. And he said, and if you speak to talent, everything else follows. Because talent are the people that can change things. They're the ones that can that move things forward. They're the ones with the ideas and the, you know, the energy and the electricity. So if you speak to them and you win their hearts, everything else will follow. And I've never, ever forgotten that. So everything Uncommon does from the work that we make to the things we're saying, hopefully even this, I'd love to believe it's it's engineered or speaking to some people that might want to work with us. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of, not a lot of people actually recognize. There's a lot of pe very clever people. But I wonder if we're sometimes directing that cleverness to the, you know, the wrong way. Um, no, lately, Paul, being really straight with you, we are really, really trying to change the makeup of Uncommon. Um, we are really trying to, um, in, in every way, make us the most diverse, representative, um, creative company in the UK. I had a photo taken it's a while ago now. We won Agency of the Year, Independent Agency of the Year before. 
Um, and we had a photo taken for it and we were far too white and we were far too, um, as you'd expect the industry to be. And I felt shit about that. Uh, and then my founder partners did too. And we have just spent the last year basically trying to change that. So we are changing the makeup of our company as ferociously and as clearly as we can. I don't believe it's luck. I don't buy any of that stuff about, you know, well, the industry isn't currently serving it. You just have to force yourself to make the change and go out there and do the work. And that's what we're trying to do. So mm-hmm. hopefully watch this space and you'll see some improvement from us there. But um, just to speak to that, you know, it's really important. And so yeah. that that side of talent, I've always taken really seriously. I went to way back at Gray, man. Gray had a majority female exec, which was rare at that point. And I went to this talk and this guy was on this chair and he said, so the first six months I went in there and sorted out the culture and that sort of stuff and then moved on. And it really wound me up because in the 10 years I was at Gray, the culture's never sorted it's the one thing that isn't, you, have, you know, the definition of culture is saying and doing the same thing every day until somewhere is better. <laughs> and um, I, I learned that then and I've never forgotten it. So uncommon, that's, that's what we're about right now. Mm. Speaking about that and talent, um, I am going to be speaking with Veritable, Jane Evans and her co-author, Carol Russell, next week about their new book, Invisible to Invaluable, uh, Unleashing the Power of Midlife Women. Why do you think the advertising world hasn't cottoned on to the value, perspective and experience that this demographic is offering them? It, I was flabbergasted uh, with some of the stories when I first met Jane and co about it, but also, you know, when I was working at um, Mindshare and I had friends in other agencies, it was like, why are all men working on certain projects? And why are only women working on other projects? And like, why don't you, by, pro- by standard, have like different... Uh, you know, representative teams. It is insanity that you are trying to, you know, create things that are going to work for another subject and none of that subject is in the room. Uh, wh- where do you think uh, that sort of specifically comes when it's, uh, you know, midlife women who have either had roles before at creative agencies and, you know, they just can't get a look in now? Yeah, I think this is ridiculous, but let, let's, like, there's one thing that I, is it like a scab I want to pick off that we've got to talk to, which is if you've got to, beat and force a certain crew of people into a room, it's already the wrong conversation. You know this thing which is like, who are you dependent on to make your dreams come true, right? That's what really pisses me off is, never mind being being fucking overlooked or the fact this industry is like that. It's like, I think we need to create new shapes of company where frankly, that isn't even a conversation. Like, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, I feel like if a company sat down and went, oh, okay, then we will. That's still not answering the problem writ large. That's still like a, a, a numbers game or some sort of, I, I think there's a major problem here, which is why would you want to work at those places? And I kind of feel like, uh, you know, I was talking to Vicky uh, McGuire about it. She's fucking amazing as well. Obviously, Jane's brilliant. And, and you know, Vix was also like, well, where, where do you want to go? You know, where, where do you want to go at this point? You don't want to go and work for those fucking people. So I think there's a disconnect on both sides. So I think there's room for startups. I think there's room for change there um, as well as, as obviously the industry recognizing it because it, you know, some people either get it or they don't. And if they don't, I'd love to believe it's a competitive advantage and anyone who doesn't get it, well, I'll see you floating by in the river. But the truth is if they don't get it, they can maybe get away with it. But what I'd love to see is, is more startups change the entire conversation than some mediocre change from some very average places who, who think they have to look a little bit differently. I'd, I think it should be a step that moves people forward, really. I don't know if that's an answer. 
I, I think it's the beginning of one. I, I don't think that conversation will ever end until um, more are in positions that they're well deserved of and that sort of thing. What, can, I, can, I, can I also add something else, which is like, yeah. um, I remember being um, at Grey and we had a lot of beauty brands. And, you know, it was like Pantene and, and Hugo Boss. And their default positioning was, you're absolutely right. Well, we'll brief the girls on that. And the problem was that those briefs weren't the same briefs in any way as some of the other work in the agency at that time. And what I mean by that is they, were, they weren't even a feminine slant on the same stuff. They didn't involve fame. They didn't involve craft. They didn't involve storytelling. They just honestly, in every way, gone and given up on it as a concept. The brief, never mind the team. And that was the, the weirdest, most screwed up thing to me. Now, I'd love to believe that if Uncommon got a brief from somebody that may aim their products at more women than men or may be created simply for women, it wouldn't be a conversation around, you know, this is a female product. It would be a conversation around the same stuff, fame, ambition, purpose, the ability to make an impact, the ability to change the world, all of the above. That's what goes missing. It doesn't just go missing in the creative department. It goes missing in the brief. Yeah, I, I have issues with how people brief, but we, that is again another for another for another uh, chat. You know, um, right? Uh, opposite end of that spectrum. Just before we quickly move on, younger folks, what's your best advice for young people starting out in the industry at the moment? Create famous things without needing anybody else. Okay. Uh, no judgment on people's photos, but looking in this space, we've got a mix of people. Um, agencies are notoriously hierarchical. Any advice for young people to manage up over the next twenty-four months, and vice versa when it comes to creativity or just work in general? Yeah, just just um, make them need you. You know, Gilbert and George have this brilliant quote, make the world to believe in you and to pay heavily for the privilege. I've always loved it. You know, don't. Um, there's ways to talk about managing up and getting on their radar and working out what they like. I didn't really get on with um, authority, but what I realized is every now and then I would do something that they couldn't do and that annoyed them, but made them respect me. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I'm just going to do that more and I'm going to shut up trying to please them or impress them. And the more you do that, the more you win. Now, I'm not saying don't please or impress them, but I am saying the less dependent you are, right? And I've always believed in this thing, which is as I get more senior, I'm going to step back from the tools. I'm like, absolutely don't. If you can edit, if you can code, if you can make, if you can write, if you can put your own presentations together, you need less people. And needy people aren't attractive. Mm. Independent people are the most attractive state. The most attractive state in advertising is, I've just done this thing, would you like to come? <laughs> you know, it, it completely changes everything. And yeah. so, and that, and that, by the way, is ageless, okay? And, and not, you know, male or female, it's the most powerful state you could possibly be in, which is, I'm going over here, would you like to come? And I think that's that's the most powerful thing you can do. All right, just some quick fire before we go on to Desert Island Tweet. Uh, Bertie wants to know, what's your favourite pizza topping? Uh, tuna with some jalapenos and a bit of black pepper, if that's possible. Tuna on a pizza? Yeah. All right. Was that unusual? Is that odd? I've got issues with fish and pineapple on a pizza, but that's all right. I've got issues on lots of things. Um, what is your, on the horizon for you next? So uh, you might have garnered, I'm obsessed with these experiences, sort of digital AV, all of the above, but also the idea of designing experiences for brands. So Uncommon may or may not be heading in that direction, which I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. um, um, screw it. Currently very interested in talking to creative people who may want to come from that background who might share in what we're interested in or might not but 
I'd love to, to meet more people there. And I'm fascinated by that because if you think about Uncommon's view, building brands of well, which existed, well, we can currently do quite a lot of that circle, but not the whole circle. And I'm really interested in what that might be. So we might be headed that way. Um, you know, this idea of live experiences and helping curate those, I'm really fascinated by. And, and we've got some absolutely amazing projects coming up. I was in an edit this morning on one of them, like I said, and and just making sure all that stuff is is usually what it needs to be. You know, really lucky at the moment to, with the partners we have, and we're just focusing on that. Mm. Um, final question: You've got to socially dist- You've got to have a socially distanced picnic with four people, dead or alive. Who are they, and why? Oh my god! Uh, okay. I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, Nick Cave, Kate Bush. Quentin Tarantino, Joan of Arc. Oh, all right. And what and why for each of those, just roughly? Because they're all badasses. They all needed nobody else. They all don't really give a shit what you think of them. Where does that... All right, let's go back. Let's hit, hit the couch for a second. Where has all that come from? Is that how you were brought up? Was that the first job <laughs> that you had was abusive? Where, where's that sort of FU attitude come from? Uh, good question, isn't it? Um, I didn't grow up with much money, and... Mm. My, I didn't go to university, and um, when I got a job, my mum didn't know it, but she was saying stuff like, well, you can't do that, and you need to do this, or they won't let you do that. It, so it was a bit of a rhetoric. She, she inspired massive love and confidence in me, but it, it, there was this under, and it spoke to me, and it wound me up. And then when I was in agencies, I heard the same thing from creative directors who didn't like it when I made things that were famous. They were like, well, did you just send that to Creative Review? And I said, well, yeah, I did. Well, you have to show me. I was like, why the fuck do I have to show you? And then I got to Gray and someone sent me an email after I won a bit of new business for them that said, why didn't you tell me what you were going to show? And they ended the email in capital letters with the words chain of command. And I thought, okay. (laughs) And so it's a recurring theme in my life. But what I've also realized is it is a brilliantly attractive and powerful state. And when you start a company, the more you can do and the less people you need, the faster you can go. If you really want to make change, stop asking permission. It's a it's a byproduct of our industry. Think about making a telly ad. I've written this ad. Who can I get to make it for me? That's literally the next conversation. Mm. So, so it's a. I think dependency is the poison of our game in every sense. And I think the more we recognise that, the more powerful we'll be, and the less people will have us in a queue for hell with lawyers and whoever else we're in a queue for. So you would disagree with Gandhi, who was who wanted to go further together. No, I think we absolutely should go further together. I'm not a fan of not collaborating. I'm a fan of not needing other people. I want to want them. Right. I want to work with people because they are the best at what they do because they bring something I don't have to the table, not because I can't make it a layout or I can't make an edit or it's been 20 years since I did a presentation myself. That shit needs to go. Yeah. No, I 100% agree on that. All right, I'm very conscious of uh, everyone's time. So let's um, move your eyes back up to the nest. So look at your device. It is the tweet at the top with Graham Scott. Desert Island tweet time. Um, the part of mouthwash where we pick a tweet that's changed the guest's mind or way of thinking on something. Um, Nils uh, has chosen this one, uh, Graham Scott. Um, if you click through, you can follow Graham if that's your thrill. But um, tell me, Nils, why did you pick this one? So forgive me, it's not, it's not, it's less Graham, uh, bless him, <laughs> he's ended up in the middle of this. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to talk to, so we did this project, and, and this was a real learning and also, I don't know, put some iron around my heart, I guess. 
we did a project for BrewDog where we sent them a tweet saying, you know, as the sanitizer shortage happened, we found this thing in Germany where a brewery returned their distillery into making hand sanitizer. We thought that would be amazing. I sent James a tweet with a mock-up saying, you know, punk hand sanitizer saying, are you like, we should just do this, dude. Midday the next day, he committed to it and done it, right? So massively impressive. It makes the news. They go at it. It's incredible, right? Everyone's reporting about it, you know, positively. It's amazing, including us, right? I'm standing there going, oh my God, he's fucking done it. This is so good. You know, helping out, all that other stuff. Then we discover that um, the product was 60% proof, not 80. And to be actually used as hand sanitizer in a hospital, it needed to be 80, right? So the Guardian immediately run this thing, which is hand sanitizer turned down by a local hospital. You know, they really glamorized it. Now, the Guardian, by the way, have since deleted this tweet and changed the headline, genuinely. The reason I'm sharing it is not this. They're a response to this, right? And I'm not going to tell you who said them because I'm, I'm not in the business of demonizing or anything. But the immediate <laughs> Say response, their names. No, no I'm absolutely not going to fucking do that. <laughs> but, but listen, listen, the thing is this. We all go, oh, we all love to see good ideas. We all hold each other up. But we don't really. And I want to speak to this, or maybe we do a bit. So this is what happened after this. Someone said, alcohol brands making hand sanitizers is advertising a costly signal, conspicuous waste. You know, and then someone replied, and these are two very, you know, powerful industry people. It's PR, often empty PR, you know, jumping up and down on the neck of, of this idea. I was like, hang on a fucking minute, right? How quickly we are ready to stomp on something. You know what I love about it? James cracked on, went back to the factory, three days later came out with 80% proof and has since shifted over 100,000 units of hand sanitizer. Now, all I want to sort of say is any act of change, anything we're going to go and do, what that spoke to me, it said is people are going to hate, man. People don't like it when we put ourselves out of our comfort zones. A lot of people in our game even don't really want us to not be in our game. They love it when we just make ads, quite good ads. And I think there's this thing where I'm like, just just don't it will come good <laughs> and ignore them and you've got to crack on and what i thought was most interesting was there's also some other tweets off the back of it where for the first time i think there wasn't just this rhetoric of everyone jumping up and down some other people came back and went hang on a fucking minute they're doing something and uh it was very boring it was really uh inspiring and i needed it man i was stuck in lockdown so i just want to sort of speak to that really because i think any stuff about risk all that other stuff You've got to be willing to read that tweet with your name in it and be all right with it, is what I'm trying to say. But you've also got to be able to look at stuff and go, no, it's all right. We're going to get through and I believe in it. And that's what that's what it's all about. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Mouthwash and the next season over at mouthwashshow.com. Mouthwash is recorded live on Twitter Spaces before becoming the podcast you've been listening to. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every listener and Shell for sponsoring the show. Let me know if you're enjoying Mouthwash so far by leaving us a rating and a review. Remember to subscribe to Mouthwash wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring activists, AI experts, Silicon Valley royalty, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, and a whole lot more besides. See you next time, and remember, always start or end your day with a little mouthwash. <laughs>